You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry DePoto. And Jerry DePoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out of the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now Chapter 3 is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. And everyone tells you you smell like pickles. You smell pickles all day, and all you see are pickles. <laughs> you never want to eat another pickle. It's time for the Wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome once again inside the Wheelhouse podcast. It is episode number 65. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. And as always, Mariners general manager, Jerry DePoto. Jerry, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. It's a lovely day in Seattle. It is a great man. We've had a lot of great days in Seattle, haven't we? It's been phenomenal. I, I will say that one of the the disappointments to me, and it's I, I say this, I get to see these games live, which is a joy uh, and a needed joy in, in this time. But when we are playing day games and they have to close the roof because of the glare that and and we're, it's a downer when you're missing these beautiful days in Seattle because it has been gorgeous. I we we are right there with you, but we under, <laughs> we understand the reasoning why we understand the reasoning behind it. And we got a lot to talk to Jerry about on today's wheelhouse. Uh, we are taping this in advance of Game One against the Angels. It's a Friday afternoon from T-Mobile Park. We're going to be talking about. Uh, Ostinola's terrific, I guess, first half was we're now in the early days of the second half. Uh, Evan White, Kyle Lewis, we want to go deep on those three guys. We're also going to talk to Jerry about the trade deadline, which is just a, the most bizarre trade deadline ever. Got your fan questions as always. We have a very simplistic, straight to the point stump, JD. And yet, Jerry, I will say it's very difficult. Gary, uh, I haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> just, just so you know, I've been working on it for two days. So uh, we've got a lot of good stuff. But first, we want to open up, Jerry, with uh, what was a, a really terrific series in a number of ways for your ball club in San Diego. You go into Petco Park against a scalding hot team. They just swept the Texas teams. They're hitting grand slams every other innings. They won seven in a row. And the Mariners take two out of three from the Padres. And they all... Maybe the National League MVP basically in check in Fernando Tatis Jr. What what were your overall thoughts of the series at Petco? Well, I mean, my overall thoughts are what they've generally been, which is I'm really proud of the way guys are playing and and the way they're carrying themselves, the the ongoing improvements so for so many of the players. And it's in every facet of the game. I, I think our starting pitching has been sneaky good for quite some time now. And and that goes for virtually every starter that's walked out there. And, and it, whether it's it, it's a it's an outing like we saw from Justin Dunn you know, a week ago on Sunday, uh, the the ongoing I guess improvement and presence of Justice Sheffield, who really quietly is is on a tremendous run, and and I think it's lost in the in the shuffle among rookies in in baseball. It's it's probably his name has been so present for so long in baseball that you forget he's a rookie and and he's on a phenomenal run marco and what we saw yesterday from you say and and while ty was here what he was able to to pitch in and and nick marjavikas who's done a wonderful job and and stepping into the rotation and remembering he's just 24 years old Uh, it's been so fun to watch and and really happy with what we've been able to do against good teams uh, we we competed toe-to-toe with teams like the Astros and the Dodgers and and didn't turn them into wins 
And then we were able to go into San Diego against a team that's every bit as talented as the other two. And, and we pulled two out of three and could have easily walked away with a sweep. It was uh, a headline moment for the Mariners and for Major League Baseball. The Mariners were scheduled to play game two against the Padres the other day. When news started to filter into Petco Park, what was happening at Miller Park in Milwaukee, the Brewers and the Reds postponing their game. Obviously, the shooting of Jacob Blake in the state of Wisconsin and the players wanting to use their platform. As we started to catch wind of that here in Seattle, we saw on our monitors in our booths what was happening inside Petco. Um, Scott Service, Jace Tingler started to talk. And then, of course, you have this great leadership core for the Mariners and Marco Gonzalez, D. Gordon, and Kyle Seeger, who met with some player reps for the Padres. The decision was made, obviously, not to play and then to play the doubleheader on Thursday. Uh, the Mariners have been united as one on this message since before the first pitch of this season was even thrown, and we got to see that uh, form of unity on full display. What was your overall thoughts of what your ball club did, taking a stand for something they really believe in? Again, being proud. You know, I think the our group is tremendous. It's a it's it's the right people in the right place at the right time, and and this is certainly the right cause and, and one that is is so far overdue in regard to the need to have to solve this kind of the. The, the social injustice, the civic, really, it, it, it has to be solved. And I, I admire our players for using their voice, for taking the stand. Uh, I think this is, it, it's, it was a, you could see the emotion starting to, to boil up in the world of sport. And, you know, very early on in the day, I got a phone call from Scott Service, who, who then put me on a, a conference line uh, with the group of players in his office and, and roughly told them, we, we support you know your your thoughts here we asked them at the at the beginning of this season to lead us in a time of trouble and it really has been a troubling time that we're living in and we asked them to lead us and and that's simply because they have they have and are dealing with uh, issues socially that we have never had to deal with and and I and I want to be respectful of of the way they choose to go through this and we spend our time listening instead of instead of leading just be willing to be led and and our players have been incredibly responsible and and I, I think what they're doing is admirable and it's for good cause and I hope it leads to real significant change sooner than later. One thing that really stands out to me as I kind of take the 30,000-foot view on this particular situation, I can't remember a time where I've seen a group of players, a coaching staff, in this case led by Scott Service, who has been so in stride with the players on this from day one, and then a front office. I mean, you know this from your playing days, Jerry. Most players, the only thing they care about the front office is if they get their walk-up song right. But in this case, the Mariners have taken so many initiatives. The Hometown 9 program was just launched. You can find more about it at mariners.com slash community. This is something that the Mariners are pledging not only financial resources, but they are pledging the most valuable thing, their time, individuals' time within the organization, the players as well. The front office has spoken to so many of the Mariners' black players to learn what the struggles are, what the problems are, what the Mariners as an organization can do to help combat this. To me, it is this incredible sense of pure synergy between these two groups, players, front office, to make such a powerful move that we're seeing on full display now. 
And, and I think it's a credit to everybody involved, all of the people. But again, it's the right people at the right place and in the right time. And, and I've had so many conversations with individual players on it uh, just yesterday with, with Taiwan Walker and, and, and the feeling that they have been supported uh, while they've been here with the Mariners and, and, and hopefully in ways that, that they feel is exceptional when compared to, to other places that you could work in, in any uh, form of business, I suppose, but especially in the sports world. And, you know, we we have been partners with our players on many levels uh, in what we do in our community programs and also in what we're trying to do in, in building our own brand because this, this team has very, very much been about the youth and the athleticism and the fun that they have on the field. It's also about the character and the quality of the human being uh, that we have off of the field, and I think it's easy for, for people to read once they spend any time around these young guys. That did result in a doubleheader, and we weren't scheduled to talk about this, but I, I am curious. We really enjoyed – Watching LJ Newsom pitch, we saw him make his debut at home against the Dodgers because of the doubleheader and the trade of Taiwan Walker. Uh, he started in game one of that twin bill. I mean, this is a guy, Jerry, that easily with another organization, with any organization, could slip through the cracks, right? I mean, he comes up drafted out of high school, 26th round, soft tossing righty, turns out to go to gas camp, has pinpoint command, now is throwing 92, and now just started a big league ball game for the first time in his life. Your early impressions on what you've seen from LJ? He's about as efficient as you can be. And and, and I would apply that to almost every part of his life. He's efficient with, with his pitches. Uh, he's efficient with his words. <laughs> he's, he's efficient with his work habits. You know, he, he LJ works hard. He takes his job seriously. Uh, he's He's, I guess, slow to smile. He's, he's pretty. Uh, he's a pretty serious kid. But the, he does. He's he says few words. He's he's a, a hardworking kid from the Mid Atlantic states who gets in and he's not afraid to get mud on him. And he committed himself. It's such an unusual story. Twenty six rounders drafted out of high school almost never sign. Uh, and when they, I say almost never sign, they almost never sign, especially when they're not offered signing bonuses that are above the, the, the slot recommendation. Usually there's some kind of unusual circumstance associated with high schoolers that sign that late in the draft. LJ was not one of them. Uh, he, he wanted to play professional baseball. He got out there and, and he did nothing but throw strikes at the low levels of the minor leagues. And, you know, credit to, to Max Wiener, to our pitching coach group, to Andy McKay and the programs that we've put together. And credit to LJ. He dove in. Uh, we gave him suggestions uh, on, on how we might be able to enhance his physical stuff because everything else that he does, from repeating his delivery to locating his pitches to the, the feel to sequence and how to mix, he does those things all exceptionally well. You just wondered if he was a little short stuff-wise. And, you know, he went to gas camp and he worked on pitch shaping and he worked on adding a little bit of velocity. And, you know, and last year he came out of the gates about as good as you could come out in, in Modesto and was precision. He was throwing 94 miles an hour and dotting it. And, you know, he's always had a pretty good curveball. He's always had the ability to back up a changeup. And he created separation between his pitches that didn't exist anymore. And then we promoted him to double A and he faded a little bit. The velocity drifted back down toward 90 and, you know, that first long season really took it out of him. And he went home and he took the same principles and he worked even harder and he went back to gas camp for uh, to get his second letter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he did. He, he's, he, he's deserved everything that's come his way. He's just 23 years old or he's playing his 23-year-old season this year. 
Uh, he's got three pitches. He can throw them all for strikes in any count. He really doesn't break under the pressure. And uh, you couldn't tell if, if LJ just struck out the last three hitters or gave up a three-run homer. He's he is he's that kind of you know stoic uh, on the mound, and and I, I trust him every time he's out there, regardless of whatever role he's in. Well, I was thinking. I'm sure Gary noticed the same thing when. LJ was facing the Padres. You know, LJ, I would not categorize as a first off the bus guy, right? I mean, he blends in a little bit more. We'll put it that way. Facing Fernando Tatis Jr., who is about the coolest looking dude there is right now in our game. And only in our great game, this is one of the most beautiful things about baseball, only in our game can LJ Newsom strike out Fernando Tatis Jr. twice and make Tatis just scream expletives <laughs> all the way back to the dugout. I mean, that was really cool to see. Yeah. Hey, man, I don't care how much swag you got. I don't care what the back of your baseball card looks like already. I don't care you hit one up by the palm trees on that building. I can punch you out not only once but twice. It was pretty sweet. There's, I, I think that's why or how he, he earned the nickname, the quiet assassin, yes. as he came through our, <laughs> our minor league system. And, and that predated even you know his, his velocity increase and, and such. His he, he's never been shy of, of competing against anybody in a moment. And like I said, it, and it could have been Tatis hitting home runs and back-to-back at bats off him. And my guess is he would have come right back to third at bat with strike one and then you know, figured out. And once he struck him out, it just nod his head and walk on. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot of really exciting things going on right now with your ball club, Jerry. Uh, some guys uh, that we're seeing for the first time this year, other guys uh, that we've seen for a little bit longer. But uh, Kyle Lewis – uh, we've mentioned him, of course, before on the podcast. We, we didn't talk so much about him last time, but um, this is the year of Kyle Lewis. I mean, he is paving a path to the Rookie of the Year award. And as Gary and I have talked about a number of times, there's he's doing it in different ways. Uh, he has had two 10-game hit streaks. He just had his most recent one come to a close in San Diego. But when you are watching what Kyle is doing, uh, first of all, holistically, what are you making of his 2020 campaign? Well, I mean, the, the first thing, and this is only because th- this was a mathematical game I was playing this morning and looking at it, you know, he's on pace. W- were he to be playing a full season, he's on pace for about a 10-war season, which Ooh. is... Well, that's impossible. That's rare air. <laughs> that's rare air. That's uh, serious. And, and, but he's on that pace, and, and his first 200 plate appearances in the big leagues are well north of six-win pace, uh, stretched over the course of a season, which... You know that too is rare air. You're talking about the the perennial MVP types that that are able to churn out seasons like that in terms of, of value. So, you know, Kyle is doing it. He's doing it defensively. I think he's run the bases very well. He has everything he's done in the batter's box has been phenomenal. If I had to pick in in this first half of the season, the most impressive thing of 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 what we've seen in Kyle's growth is that over the first two weeks, we saw something similar to last year, which was big impact, maybe a little improved, you know, in, in terms of his contactability. The the center field defense is far and beyond anything that anybody could have expected, how quickly it came uh, for him this year, especially once he came back for summer camp. But in the last two weeks, what he has done in, in the ability to manage the strike zone and, and just get himself into position to have, A, either better pitches to hit or better and more complete at bats. We've seen a flip in his in his strikeout walk percentages mm-hmm. where we went from high strikeout fine walks to exceptional walk rate 
low strikeout rate. And not only did he not give up power, he's hitting the ball even harder than he was hitting it before. So uh, you're right now you're getting average, you're getting on base, you're getting power, you're getting defense, you're getting base running, you're getting quality human being with leadership skills. And every time I turn on the TV, I, obviously it's 28 players who we know and we love. And every time I turn on the TV, you can't help but gravitate toward him when he's on the screen, whatever you're doing. It's, he's had that kind of run for a month, and I think that's exciting. I'm glad you brought that up about Lewis because I almost feel like his season offensively is in like three different chapters. You mentioned the high strikeouts, a lot of power at the beginning. Then he kind of had the flaying the ball to right field, uh, cutting the strikeout right, and now it feels like this third chapter is everything's coming together at once. Is that, from your view, is that a young guy figuring himself out and adjusting to what now teams are trying to do? Because obviously he has the attention of all the opponents now. It, it's it's a young guy adjusting and figuring out how to play the game while he's leading the league and hitting and on a pace yeah. for a 10-win season. It's a, it's amazing what he's doing and how he's doing it. And, you know, it's it's very easy to, to – to look at him and see all the physical traits and the upside potential that he has. It's something entirely different where in almost every single category, even the small nuanced motor skills that, 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 that the great players are able to master, he's doing that and he's learning a lot of those skills on the fly here. We've talked about it before. Some of that is due to the fact that so much of his, his player development time was, was, now, sidelined. And, and you know, mo most of the first two years of his of his time as a professional were spent trying to rehab. And, and right now what we're seeing is those adjustments that you make over the course of your journey to the big leagues. He is making them on the fly against the best competition in the world. And he's and he's making it look pretty easy. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's been wildly impressive. And, and I, I think while it's happening, you, you can see the, the confidence build day by day. And there is an electricity to his personality on the field. That's really hard to look away from. How long does it take for an evaluator, a general manager, a manager to know who a player is? Because there's nothing in Kyle's minor league numbers that indicate that he's even a 300 hitter. I mean, he's a lifetime 260 hitter. He didn't have a 300 average season in the minor leagues. And let's not make batting average to be the end-all, be-all by any means, but he has, been, he has so far been able, as you just referenced, to kind of have his cake and eat it too, the whole thing. He has just barely 200 career big league plate appearances. At the end of the year, Jerry, are you going to have an idea as to what kind of hitter he is, or do you need to see another... 200 or 300 plate appearances next year to kind of get a better grasp as to okay full year this is who Kyle Lewis is I think usually your your the baseball history tells you somewhere between 600 and a thousand plate appearances guys kind of show you their water level but the it's it starts to normalize much much sooner that than that especially with the batted ball data so you know one of the things that we have the great advantage of in this era of looking at at the minor league levels is that batted ball data and it's it's oftentimes not available on public sites or or you know through i guess channels that you would be able to tap into as a fan and you know whether it be the the information we're getting from TrackMan that, that we have set up at each of the ballparks and or or other uh, metrics that we're looking at you know I'm, i i can't even remember how many times I must have said it on this very podcast through the course of the last year, how hard Kyle was hitting the ball and, and the swing decisions that, that he was making. You know, I, I think 
Ted Williams once said that the you you're you're going to be as good as the pitch you swing at. And you know, while Kyle Lewis did have a high strikeout rate, he also had a high walk rate and he swung at the right pitches. So what you were seeing in terms of a, an inflated strikeout rate and a and a I guess a deflated batting average was a he had an incredibly low uh, batting average on balls in play, uh, which is that tends to normalize over time, and and he hit the ball very hard and he made great swing decisions. So he was swinging at the right pitches, hitting the ball hard and not getting rewarded with good results. So on the back of a baseball card thirty years ago, you could look at that and say, ah, he's a mm-hmm. two sixty hitter. We're looking at that and saying there's something more going on under the hood here, and, and we believed in the player. And, and right now it's it's rewarding us beyond what we could have ever have hoped. You know, I didn't know if I was going to bet on 350, but he is, a, <laughs> he is very capable of doing a lot of the things that he's doing right now. I mean, to get a little little nerdy on it, Jerry, and I realize— I just did. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I want—Jerry, yeah. you, know, you know how nerdy we can get. Let's— uh, y- there are people listening who are saying, well, I'm on those websites, right? I'm on Savant, I'm on Fangraphs, I'm on Brooks, I'm on you know, references, more historical stuff. Uh, but are you looking at uh, the swing decisions are on just simply how often he's swinging at pitches in the strike zone, how often he's making contact to pitches in the strike zone? Uh, those things are public for fans who want to really get into it with what they can see on, let's call it fan graphs, what would you be looking at? See, we bake into it what that player's skill set is. And roughly looking at Kyle Lewis, and Kyle and all of our players will go through uh, a BVY plan. You know, what is the best version of you? Mm. What is it you're looking to do? What are you, what pitches should you be swinging at? When are you letting it hunt when you're in a 2021 uh, count? Jerry, 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 we prefer... Let it eat. Let it eat. It's, please, please stay on brand of the wheelhouse, Jerry. Let, let it eat. Uh, uh, Gary, how many times we, we've told Scott this? Now we have to tell Jerry this. I feel like I'm coming off as the bad guy now. So, it's, so it's eat. We're gonna eat. Let it eat. Okay. So when three, do you let it three, eat? Three, two, one. Yeah. Let it eat. <laughs> uh, you know, it's roughly understanding your own skill set okay. uh, and then determining how often he is swinging at pitches in his damage zone. So not just swinging at strikes. The strike zone's a big place, you know. It's a although I guess for some on a given day it might not feel like it's a very <laughs> big place. I have been in that category, but uh, as it, as it goes for each of our players, we try to set up a game plan for them so that they understand where their damage zone is, and then when they are swinging in OO counts or in one O counts or in two one counts, the goal is swing at pitches that you can hit a homer with. <laughs> you know, don't swing at a strike because if you swing at strikes in the big leagues if you swing at all the strikes you, roughly you're going to make a lot of outs because pitchers can be more precise with where they're throwing it and you know i, I think if you look right now even at the at like the i guess the full cachet of information that's available about this young team we are we are for such a young team i would say extremely selective in in how we're going about our business with the youngest offensive lineup in the league you know on a given night we've got five six rookies in there and and they're not swinging the bat willy nilly. They're they're zoning pitches, and you know that's the kind of information that we might have that might not be available on public sites. And you know it's a every one of our players when they when they start their season, they know where the hot zone is, what they're looking for in those in those counts, and and as they mature and in their development, you know it, they are it's it's expected that those are the pitches that they're going to go out and and eat. I, 
they hunt them and then they eat them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now that is synergy, Jerry. Yeah, that's, that's see, that's, I made it happen yes, for you. Yeah. Nicely done. Nicely done. That's good stuff. Uh, that that is cool because there are a lot of fans who are pretty dialed in on those things, but. Uh, there's only so much that we can get without us subscribing to the Mariners Statistical Data Service, which I assume we can uh, for nine ninety nine a month. For we, fee. Can, yeah, yeah, right. we, can, we can get all this. <laughs> hey, one of those rookies this year, Jerry, and man, the story and the narrative on Evan White have, has been the same. I, I feel like since practically opening day, and that is this guy hits the ball about as hard as anybody, not just on the team, but in baseball. I mean, that's the honest to goodness truth. If you look at how often he is hitting the ball hard, uh, how many times he has hit one 95-plus off the bat. I mean, all the different metrics that you can find easily on any public site would say that this guy can really barrel it up. And it's finally, Jerry, it seems like it's finally coming together with in terms of hitting the ball hard, finding base hits, not swinging and missing as much. Uh, what is it that you've seen in, let's call it, the last week or so, last 10 games for Evan White that has led to this great success that we're seeing now? You know, he's just doing what he's always done physically. And, you know, uh, baseball, uh, I guess, the history of baseball teaches you or tells you and, and the, you know, wisdom, baseball wisdom suggests that when you start a season, you know, let the first 30 days play out. You know, you want to see young players get 100 plate appearances under their belt before you really start to assess where they are, you know, and, and pass judgment. You want to see the young starting pitchers get five, six starts under their belt before you rush to judgment. And and uh, and that's something we tried to stay true to this year, understanding we were giving so many guys, you know, the, the opportunity for the first time. But I, I, I know it's often believed that I'm, I'm selling a bill of goods. That, I told you, <laughs> he hits the ball hard, and and uh, it's it's one of the reasons we thought that it was going to manifest itself in over the fence power in, in a different way, and, and and I think one of the things that gets lost in the in the shuffle with Evan is that last year in a really difficult to hit in ballpark in a truncated number of at bats, he did hit 18 home runs, and they were he was doing it in a, a really tough place to hit, and and uh, he has power, he hits the ball hard, he does it line to line. Uh, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is just a guy who's getting comfortable. And, you know, he had to – first he had to walk through his desert. You know, he was he was taking the strikes and swinging at the balls, which you won't survive in any league doing that. And and he had to learn how to get his heart rate under control. And and I think he'd be the first one to tell you that once he's now looking back in the, in the rear view. And now it's moving slower for him, and the result is he's hitting it harder. And, and like we talked about with Kalu – with with Evan, you were also dealing in those first three weeks of the season ish. You were dealing with an extraordinarily low batting average on balls in play, like something in the range of one sixty ish, which is just unfathomably low for a guy, especially for a guy who hits the ball hard and runs well. Uh, it's that was going to flip, and and it has. And and over the last ten games or so, he's actually been one of the the ten hottest OPS hitters in baseball. And he's hitting it over the fence. He's hitting it off the fence. He's hitting screamers everywhere. And and I thought the you know encouragingly, uh, as the series in San Diego started, hit a couple of rockets to right field, and you know just picking up RBIs. And you know the great Edgar Martinez would be the first one to tell you that's where the RBIs are. You know, stay in the middle, right center field with, with runners in scoring position and do your damage. And, you know, two weeks of the season or the first two weeks of the season, we saw a lot of, you know, big swings and trying to pull everything and show everybody that he could hit the ball hard. And now he's just being Evan White. And I, and I think Evan White is a really good player to be. 
You mentioned runs well, too. It is not accurate to say he's fast for a first baseman. He's, he's just fast. fast. Yeah. yeah. He's fast. And we, we've we talked about his defense before. We saw. I mean, it feels like he makes at least one play every game where he saves a base hit. I mean, just, it's amazing the way he is so effortless at first base. Makes it look so easy. There's a, And I think it was pretty clear to the league just in a couple of days. You know, it didn't take long for them to say, wow, I get what they're talking about with the defense. And, you know, that's something we didn't have to work a lot with Evan on. He, he came with those gifts. And, you know, he's, he's got great feet around the bag at first base. His, his instincts are awesome. His athleticism really stands out. He's got an accurate throwing arm. There's a, he, he does so many things on a nightly basis to really change the game at first base. And most of it will never show up in, in stats like UZR. They, like those type of metrics weren't intended for a first baseman, especially a first baseman who does the things that Evan can do. And, you know, I, I would be willing to bet at the end of the, the season, whatever length of season that is, that players like Kyle Seeger and J.P. Crawford, but especially the, the starting pitchers, will walk over and give Evan a hug and, <laughs> and buy him something really nice so at the many, end of a year. So many gold watches by <laughs> the end right. of the year. That's right. <laughs> Hey, since you uh, since you mentioned UZR, uh, defensive metrics can oh man, they can be such a slippery slope. Is there publicly available one defensive metric statistic that you say, yeah, this is generally speaking, this is the best one to go to? You no, know, I mean you have to mix and match the, especially in the early going, because as as we've learned more about the use of defensive metrics, one of the things you really have to be careful of is small sample size in some of these areas. You know, but it, whether it's UZR, the zone rating systems, the, it's it's outs above average is probably about as good as you're going to do in the in the industry today. But the, you know, w- what we do internally is try to take a lot of the information that goes that's baked into the OAA, and and use it, which is you know. How much ground are they covering? What is the probability of this catch being made or that catch be, or that play being made? And you know, and I say all this, and a lot of that still is very hard to apply to a first baseman because there's certain there's certain assumptions that you can't make uh, without just watching it. There there's that pick, the in between throw from third base that is just impossible that he makes look easy. There's the, there is the play where you have to shuffle your feet twice and put yourself in position, stretching seemingly three feet, you know, and, and not lose connection with the bag as you rotated from the outside to the inside and do it while a runner is barreling down and, and, and running into your ribs. (laughs) And he, and he does those things. And, you know, now I say all that. and, And while I don't think there is a perfect defensive metric, I think by taking some form of all of them, you know, that's that's a reasonable uh, conclusion to draw is just, you know, bake a stew and just understand each position may require that you use a little bit more of this and a little bit less of that. Because one of the things with even on uh, and I, I love fan graphs, which is where I think you can get just about any you know basic reference that you want about a player. Uh, you know, and and turn it into a metric. But with with first baseman, you have to understand that first basemen are starting with a considerable. They are roughly everybody else is at a pole position, and the first baseman is starting in lane ten, and then they have to catch up. So, you know, it's a, the 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 way defensive metrics are are created. We're not meant to celebrate great first base play, and you know, I think it's it's evident to everybody who watches that he does it. He does it quite well. Jerry, it's interesting when we go back and look at last year and the first time that we set eyes on Austin Nolan. 
Austin, like, this is the three chapters that we've seen of Austin Nola. Oh, this is a great story. <laughs> and Thanksgiving in the Nola household won't be quite so lopsided now because Austin's made it to the show. That was chapter one. Chapter two was, really? Wow. He's, like, he's a, he might be a real ball player. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. It has been incredible to see what the Mariners discovered in Ostinola, brought him to the big leagues, and then have, by his own hard work and dedication and some Mariners guidance, have developed into a really legitimate big league hitter. This must be uh, incredibly joyful for you to be able to watch on a night, night in and night out basis. It is because if you if you spend any time around Austin, the only thing better than what he's doing right now as a player is just him as a guy. He's a, I mean, he's an awesome human and one of the best people you'll meet in baseball just a a joy to be around he's a wonderful teammate he's he gives to everybody around him he's got a great head for the game I would suppose that if he wants to Austin Nola will manage a major league team sometime down the road when he's done playing it's a, he's got that kind of baseball IQ and you know we're we pinch ourselves daily for how well this has worked out you know we, we picked him up based on metrics that we had that suggested that behind the plate it was he had exceptional framing skills and we understood that if you take good baseball IQ which we've known Austin to have since he was in high school uh, you bake it in or, or combine it with you know good receiving skills and the ability to frame pitches and generally what I would call to be a patient approach at the plate without ever having put up dynamic offensive numbers and you know uh, this was going to be, at worst case, a really good player to create depth in our system at the upper levels and as we headed into spring training 2019. And lo and behold, as soon as we acquired Austin, I think the, the day we, he signed with us, it was a Monday, the day he signed with us, we were having our first, uh, or I guess second session of Game Calling University with, with uh, the great Dan Wilson and Tony Arnrich running the, the show. And uh, Austin said, I want, I, I'd like to jump in. He, he, he jumped in on his first GCU uh, on his first day as a Mariner, and it was a giant conference, video conference call. And uh, as I understand it, I was not in attendance. As I understand it, roughly just took over and started talking and you know, <laughs> contributed, asked questions, and, and took on a leadership role in the conversation. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, was on a plane, flew in from Florida, went to Arizona, and went in and, and met with Hugh Quattlebaum and our hitting people and just started recreating uh, what his swing looked like to, to look at his strengths and his weaknesses and, and really wanted to make a conscious effort to change what he did because that's not those weren't programs that were offered to him in, in his previous stop. And, and uh, you know, he, he, he committed himself. He asked, he asked in to GCU, he asked, which is something we would more do with an A-ball player. Now we do it with all of our catchers because it's been so well received by guys like Austin Nolan, and Tom Murphy, you know, and it wasn't just the Cal Raleigh's and the Jake Anchias. We were able to do it with everybody. And, and, uh, and Austin dove in on the hitting side and started working with our people about a more sophisticated or modern approach to hitting. And, and lo and behold, what we could not have expected was that we were going to, I mean, he is rolling out and I'm ballparking here, but Austin Nolan has been in the big leagues now north of a year. And he is rolling out something in the neighborhood of about a 130 weighted runs created plus or something like that, 120, 130. 
and and he's sitting about on a nine and a quarter OPS today. And, yeah. and 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 it's very believable when you watch the way he manages his at bats and he controls the strike zone and and there's there's nothing gaudy about the tool set that he has, but there's a lot of gaudy in the skill set that he has, and that's something to be admired. That's what I find amazing because catching there's so much information, right? You're dealing with bigger pitching staffs than you've ever dealt with. Uh, young staff in this case, especially starting rotation, weren't really expecting to be the everyday catcher, but he is because of the Murphy injury. And, yeah, he's 12th in the American League in OPS on top of <laughs> everything else to go along with the catching side. It's incredible. That's amazing. And, and he did it all in the middle of a pandemic while right. going through the birth of his okay. first child. And well, I guess his, technically his wife did. And he was just <laughs> supporting the, the effort. But yeah, it's 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 been a wonderful year, I think, or a year and a half for Austin. And I, you know, I, I told him when this all started, when Murph was down, you know, hopefully we don't run you into the ground. And he said, he said, I love it, man. I'll, I'll play every day. I'm soaking this up. And He's, uh, he waited a long time to get the opportunity, and he really is cashing in on every second of it. It's amazing. When, when we watched the Mariners play the four games against the Dodgers, one of the things that we were so taken aback by seeing the Dodgers in person is that they have more money than <laughs> any organization. Like maybe, maybe Microsoft has more money. <laughs> it's like Microsoft – and, and then the L.A. Dodgers, right? <laughs> and yet, you know this better than we do, Jerry. They've got reclamation projects all over the diamond, yeah. which are some of which have signed extensions to play for the Dodgers long term. Others are still playing for pennies on the dollar compared to some of their counterparts. Even the Dodgers have guys that they find the diamonds in the rough. Do you have to be able to find a couple of Austin Nolas if you really want to roll out a, a, a postseason World Series contending team? Because you can't buy everybody, and you're the odds of you drafting and hitting on every single guy and not having them get hurt all peak at the right time. I mean, that's like it's the Royals, and that's it. I mean, it's it's hard to do. So, so for a number of years, my my first six years professionally, I spent with the Cleveland Indians in the the late '80s, early '90s, and uh, my farm director, later assistant general manager, was Dan O'Dowd who then went on to become the general manager of the Rockies for 16, 18 years, somewhere around there. And he was my general manager at the end of my playing career. And then I also worked for him in a scouting and then executive role. And during the time in, in Colorado, Dan would always reference those mid-90s Indians teams and a wildly talented you know, group, and, and roughly an all-star at every position in the 90s, it seemed. And, and then another one in back of them waiting to come. And and, uh, you know, we talked about those teams all the time. And, and, you know, Dan said, you don't really have to have, you know, on the, on the scale of 20 to 80, you don't have to have a roll 60 player at every position. You got, but you got to get lucky somewhere. You got to get lucky in the draft. You got to get lucky in, in minor league free agency. You've got to get lucky with a free agent you signed on a, on a, you know, low budget deal. And it turns out to be a home run. And if you look at, at past champions or even playoff clubs, they're out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. the, the teams that hit, you know, there's we're going to play the Angels tonight. They're, the Cardinals probably didn't expect three championships and one of the all-time great hitters in the history of baseball in the 13th round of a draft. Like, you got to get lucky. And I would say that the Dodgers probably look at their lineup on a given day thinking, huh, 
who knew Cody Bellinger was going to hit, <laughs> be roughly a, 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 an elite level power hitter when he was coming out of Phoenix area high school as a good field might hit no power first baseman. <laughs> That's a, he was projectable. They got it right, you know, and and I could say the same about the, Mookie Betts, who was a, a fifth round pick as a high school kid for the Red Sox, who multiple championships, and you know, you, you're not going to get very far on one hand of fingers before you talk about the best players in the game and Mookie's name comes up and he was not a consensus guy on draft day or then the reclamation projects. Like when you look at the Dodgers and you see Chris, Ta- Chris Taylor, he's it. I get choked up when I say that. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> uh, I need some water. Uh, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy, you know, it, they've done a wonderful job of taking guys. Kike Hernandez was not that guy. And, and they've done a wonderful job of taking guys like that and putting them through what I think is one of the best player development systems in baseball. And, and player development doesn't just happen in the minor leagues. Player development does happen in the big leagues. And, you know, I selfishly, I think we are doing it quite well. Uh, and, and hopefully this group of guys, the Austin Nolas, the Dylan Moores, the Sam Haggerty's, it, like these can, th- these can be contributors to us in major ways like those guys are. And, and in the most extreme cases, if somebody turns out to be a star who you wouldn't otherwise have thought, and perhaps it's one of them, you you really walk into something special because you need that to happen to be a championship type team. Jerry, this is uh, the trade deadline is quickly approaching, and this is the most bonkers trade deadline this game has ever had, and and hopefully ever will have. Uh, you have made a trade, and it might end up being the most high profile player traded. Who knows? But you traded Taiwan Walker to the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, first of all, before we talk about the, kind of the nuts and bolts of this trade deadline. Uh, Ty was obviously a guy's his second stint here. Uh, you were not a part of the regime that drafted him, but I, I think you quickly discovered in Taiwan 2.0 that we saw, I mean, a high-quality character guy, a leader, uh, not only and a guy who really performs well when he's up on the mound. That's never an easy guy to say goodbye to, but it was the right choice for the ball club. I think on many levels, and 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 Taiwan understood that, and you know I, I did my first year here in 2016. I did have Taiwan, and and I uh, watched high pitch since he was in high school. I've always admired his physical ability, and he's different now. It's not it, it is not the big gaudy 98 mile an hour fastball, the the the, the dreaming on some you know off in the distance upside that you might have thought when he was 17 years old. He's, he's turned into a mature man who's got a feel for how to pitch. And, you know, he, he sits and operates around 93, 94. When he needs to get the extra juice, he can give you a 95 or a 6. He's come so far with his secondary pitches. But more importantly, he's come so far with his ability to understand the sequencing, how to go about navigating through an at-bat without just simply powering through because it's hard to power through. The best major league hitters will tell you, you can't stuff a major league lineup very often. You're going to have to figure out how to navigate and pitch to them. He's come so far in that category. And what what Taiwan did for in terms of his time away, so once we traded him at the tail end of, uh, in the winter of 16, uh, the, how much he matured as a human being and grew as a leader in the in the interim and what he brought back to this team is something that I'll, whether he plays another inning here sometime in the future or not i will always be thankful for what he brought back and you know the cohesiveness that the the starting group you know marco and chef and justin and you say what they all did together was remarkable and i think you know taiwan had his hands in that as well this deadline has to be the most challenging one 
you've ever faced. I mean, I think about teams trying to make decisions a month into play. Uh, minor leaguers are mostly sitting at home. There's some in camps, but you don't necessarily know what's going on in those camps. It's just the whole thing seems so odd and so challenging. Uh, it really is. And I, I, I think the obviously we're I don't think it's going to be a crazy active trade mm -hmm. deadline because of some of the factors you just described. There's so many different teams that are that are still in it, really, and or at least within shouting distance of a, of a playoff spot. And uh, there's there's so much uniqueness in this. So you could count in there that there are no live scouting looks. There, right. everything you're working on, your work or working off of, is in some cases outdated information because players change quickly, mm -hmm. especially throughout development. So it, it did make for a challenging effort, and you know we had a, a, a series of ideas that we wanted to employ going into the deadline and. You know, fortunately for us, we viewed ourselves as building over time. So, you know, we were more likely to go young than, mm -hmm. than try to find someone who is, you know, close by or is going to step in immediately. We were not likely to be looking for, you know, for the player that pushed us over the edge, but rather someone who was going to come and be a part of, the, of a long range plan. And, and we were then able to look at a different category of, of prospect when we were, when we were making these deals and, and we believed that when we were going into this this trade season. And, you know, that might be the only move we make, or it could be one of three or four. I, I don't know how the weekend will play out, but uh, I do suspect that that this year is going to be unusual. And, and I've said it before, with, with the exception of pending free agents, who are, are always going to be, you know, commodities at the trade deadline, uh, because they come with less strings attached. I'm not sure really what else happens at this trade deadline because it's so unique. Come on, Jerry. The only trade you make. It could be. Did you hear? <laughs> it could Jerry, be. Did you hear yourself? Yeah, you heard me say it. Did you hear yourself? <laughs> yeah, I have. The, there's. I, I. I would fill you on some other. You're getting jittery. comical you're, things. You're I've getting said. jittery just now, just <laughs> saying that. <laughs> uh, if, by the way, let's let's uh, forecast just for fun. Let's just say crazy world. Let's just say the Mariners you re-sign Taiwan Walker when he becomes a free agent. How many general managers will have traded away one player twice and then? signed him as a free agent i mean that's that's got to be rare air. that's got to <laughs> be rare air. yeah okay that's what i thought there's something the winter you know just something to look forward to you've given winter. me something to aspire to <laughs> well taiwan we like you but really i'm just trying to i'm just trying to become one of one of a million here <laughs> this doesn't happen very often we're just trying to check the freak show <laughs> <laughs> exactly right okay let's um stump jd could not be any more straightforward this week it is so straightforward and yet as Gary can attest to, fairly challenging. Yeah, let let's not sell that too much in case he Until gets he just it, nails like, it right <laughs> off the bat. So if I scroll through my text messages, if we can stay off my it's for him, a while, it's him just texting me throughout the yeah. last three games, just tr guessing and just wrong, wrong, wrong. Oh, wrong, so wrong. you asked Gary this yeah, question? Yeah, I don't know the answer. Okay, this is, but it's a good. It is a that, good. That is great strategy. It is actually. a great strategy, unless somebody asks you the following question, Jerry. We all know who has the most hits in San Diego Padres history. We do. It's Mr. Padre. It's yes. Tony Gwynn. Jerry, can you tell me who has the second most hits <laughs> in San Diego Padres history? The second most <laughs> hits <laughs> in San Diego Padres history. You know, it is. I will say it is funnier when I say it out loud. <laughs> it's it pretty great. That's an awesome question. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> is it Jerry? Is All it? Right. Look, can, can I have a moment to think? Yeah, we can, can we, yeah. can, can we, we can, talk about something else while I think about this? Because you wanna, you wanna let's go just to say that's a nuanced question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like to bring in stump shady questions with the opponents. I like to have a tie-in for no reason, but it just gives me a kind of a launching point. Mariners play the Padres, and I don't know, popped in my head. Uh, how about we do a couple of fan questions while you mull this over? That would be fantastic. Like, there's some way that you can process that ridiculous question while answering fan questions. Maybe I have an idea in I my head. I am thrilled that you didn't get it right away. <laughs> Is Seriously. It, this makes me feel a little better. Could it be Adrian Gonzalez? No, he has the seventh most hits. Seventh One most One of my hits. guesses. Yeah. yeah. That's, it was a, it I have about like seven a, so far. Yeah, G- I think Gary also a- asked... I forget who it was, but it was like the 13th most hits in Padres hits. So he's been all over the, uh, the top yeah. 20. Yeah. All right. Um, to some, to some fan questions. In the meantime, uh, we got some good ones, Jerry. Uh, we got uh, we got a fun one. We got a serious one. Uh, the serious one comes from Matthew Parker at M Parker 77. This is something that ha- hasn't been talked about a lot since the earliest days of the 2020 season. Matthew wants to know, Jerry, is the lack of fans helping? or hurting players, as best you can tell. He says, I can imagine not having thousands of people's eyes on you might actually be helping a few guys, but I'll add something to this. Obviously, uh, there's some juice that comes from having 50,000 people in a ballpark uh, cheering for you or against you. What is your thoughts when you talk to to Scott and company about what the lack of fans is doing? I think it hurts. You know, it's a, just having done this in my life, you get you get more reward, you get more juice, it's easier to get fired up. It's also from a developmental standpoint, it's better for us because we get to see what happens when the environment starts to rise. And it's a uh, right now, you don't really get that. You know, the 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 ambient noise that's piped in, you know, <laughs> we might be able to turn it up from 7 to 8. That's a, it's it's not the same feeling as being in the Metrodome in the 1991 World Series when when you're at Defcon 9 and the and the roof is going to blow off. It's you know, it, there is a great benefit to the fans in the stands and I do think it hurts not having it was interesting. Scott referenced at this point, it was over a week ago. He said something along the lines. I don't want to quote it directly, but he said the next step, and he was referring to the young players, the next step is playing in front of fans. And that must have been what he was talking about. Of How can you control your heartbeat when you've got 40,000 people on top of you? It, you know, it's, it's really having uh, when I when I first came up to the big leagues, I played in empty stadiums. I was on a rebuilding Indians team. We played in an 80,000 seat stadium. Nobody was really there. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, and until we went to the big markets and played playoff type teams, you really didn't experience that. And, you know, later, I guess, halfway through my career, I went to Colorado and this was, you know, after the, 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 inaugural season and into the, the mid nineties, but Coors Field still had a, full capacity every night regardless of our record and and I usually pitch toward the tail end of the games and you're out there on the mound and when there are 54,000 people in the stadium and there's two outs in the ninth inning and there's a runner on second base and they're all jumping up and down and let's go the, the ground is physically shaking under your feet. You can feel yourself moving. And it's a, it's an unbelievable sensation when you're out there. And, and it is the, the greatest uh, challenge is to try to slow it down. Whoever tells you they shut it out is full of it. There's no <laughs> way. You can't. You can't shut it out. You can feel your body moving. But you have to be able to channel it and, and really be able to control that energy. And, and I think that's something that really th- this this – season is sorely missing it's so much fun when fans are here that's cool that's a great story is it gene richards no it's not dang it 
Oh, but nice dual processing. There. Yeah, that was that great. was very impressive. That was impressive. Uh, our second and final fan question comes from Paul at Paul Waldo. Jerry, he wants to know what was your one food or meal that you kept going back to during quarantine. Kept going. So this is true story, and I shared this with with Justin Hollander, our AGM. For the first, I would say, two months of the quarantine, Tammy and I rotated, you know, cooking, sous chefing, and, and whatnot, and we did not repeat a meal for almost two months. We, Whoa! Yeah, we wow. tried something new. That's amazing. Nonstop. Yeah, nonstop. But we, we did hit on a couple of like fun things, like the staples are easy. You know, just having a steak on a given night, but you just find a different way to prepare it. Uh, so really didn't have any staples through quarantine it was quite the opposite we wow. intended to explore new things that, that we really never made before like uh curries that that's that's not really in my wheelhouse no pun intended and but now i get it a little bit you know okay. and just doing things uh making asian food that was you know it wasn't something that i that naturally came easy to me but just following recipes and and trying out a little more of this and and you know watching cooking shows and and taking leads i it was great and i actually got uh, kind of locked into on Sundays I would just set up my iPad and it might be Bobby Flay it could be Michael Simon it could you know it could be Molly A and I'm, and I'm watching a, a a show like Food Network Kitchen and I'm watching them walk me through how to prepare something and just you know daytime with Jerry cooking dinner with, <laughs> cooking dinner with Bobby Flay so you know oddly enough and that's no joke we didn't repeat anything for wow. for two months Gary what about you <laughs> I think I repeated something every day. <laughs> <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly. Boy, big, real big league right there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I um, two things for me. A, I rediscovered my love for potato chips. I I've tried every potato chip now, and uh, <laughs> and Gary will not like this. I'll tell you what's a great potato chip. Is the dill pickle potato chips? I'm in on dill pickle. Oh, Gary, oh. Jerry, Jerry, Gary. Hey, it's pickles. I mean, if you want to get him a good gift, get him a jar of pickles. It's not my fault. It's the summer I spent working at the Nally Valley Pickle Plant in Tacoma <laughs> wow. that ruined pickles for me forever. Because when you go home and you take a shower and you still smell like pickles, and your hair smells like pickles, and everyone tells you you smell like pickles, and you smell pickles all day, and all you see are pickles. <laughs> You never want to eat another pickle. Should we just should we call Gary Pickles? I think uh, after I heard him, he sounded so good saying the word pickles. Pickles. I th yeah. I was thinking the same thing. For some reason, that had not dawned on me until this very moment. He is pickles. Yeah. What a terrible nickname. He wouldn't. He wouldn't talk to me anymore. To me, like the 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 New York delis, the the garlic pickles that you get. Yeah. At the I'm New all York. over. Oh, it, man. my gosh. Yeah. Dude, it's unbelievable. Uh, you yeah. can you can have mine. Well, okay. Great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, potato <laughs> chips, and uh, I ate. So many eggs. So, and you know what I've discovered is amazing? Soy sauce on eggs. Like two fried eggs, runny yolk with soy sauce. I mean, it is knock your socks off good. All Eric, chicken eggs? Or have you explored yeah, the I different eggs? I didn't eggs. go into the... <laughs> I don't even remember what that animal was that we talked The emu. The emu, yeah. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jerry, Jerry. I mean, I, I love the creativity. I Every, every day... Every day during quarantine, and Gary can relate. I mean, I've got a five or three in the time, like a five-month-old when this thing started. I mean, every day was possibly the end of the world. Okay, so the the in all due respect, emu eggs. <laughs> they ain't coming into play. <laughs> that wasn't happening. But you know, uh, 
the sun has come out again. Things are beginning to be more normal. So check. Let's check in a year from now on the emu eggs, and you can, <laughs> yeah. you can, I can borrow the hardware from you to crack one of those things open. Um, right now, I'm in on the duck egg. It's a, oh, it's, really? it's it's simpler, but it's a, it's it's richer and creamier than a normal chicken egg. I'm not, I'm not gonna kick we, the chicken egg out that the back and door. Just but always have that as a drop. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry on drop. Jerry on eggs. That feels <laughs> like go. a good uh, feels like a good in-game drop too. That would just be a good in-game. Yeah. yeah, especially for our promos for the wheelhouse. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know how you've been able to think about who has the second most hits in Padres history while discussing eggs, but you might have been able to. Do you have a? Uh, do you have a guess, Jerry? I mean. There's I've, I'm I'm gonna empty the, the the magazine here. Dave Winfield, third most. Oh, this guy, right. Jerry, Jerry, I'm not kidding. This guy has a hit more than Dave Winfield. One hit more for than the Dave second Winfield. most hits. He has 1,135 hits. Well, this is why this is such a great question because yeah. it should be Dave Winfield. It should be Dave Winfield, but it's not. But it is not. It is somebody who played for the Padres for, <laughs> for ten quite years, quite some time. Ten years. Uh, can we go ten years as ten a years. pod? He was twice an all-star with another team, one time an all-star with the Friars. Can I'm gonna can can we say is it Gary Templeton? Congratulations. That's Gary. He wasn't thirteenth. He was number two. Gary Templeton. He was an awesome player. Well, good enough to get the second most hits. I believe the 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 first switch hitter in major league baseball history to register a 200-hit season while getting 100 hits from either side of the plate. Now that's next level. That's Why wasn't that my question? <laughs> that <laughs> was that, much better. Jerry, if that was my question, I would, think you, that's would, right. would, you have gotten, <laughs> would you have gotten Templeton right away? Uh, if that was a question, for sure. But that was that was Gary Templeton, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, right, right. But Before none, he was traded for the Great Wizard. None, nonetheless. God, that's, all right. I feel this was aces on all fronts, Yeah, right? That was excellent. That's a great question. That's yeah. an awesome question. That's a, I mean, you know, very, the, very niche, very difficult. I bet you there are – I bet you 9 out of 10 Padres don't even know – Padres fans don't even know that. I can bet you 9 <laughs> out of 10 Padres don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think Will Myers knows that? <laughs> hey, uh, Jerry, man, we, we've taken a lot of your time, as we typically do. Uh, we really appreciate it. This one was a ton of fun. And uh, we, we love – Jerry, we love the deep dives on guys. And, and you gave us tons of good stuff and, and the fans as well. So thank you so much for hanging out. And – putting up with our nonsense we appreciate it i'm happy to do it guys It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.